guys on the sound and computer. We'd be lost without you. Okay, we've, um, last few weeks, been looking at uh, Jesus. Who else would we look at? And uh, last week, Edward spoke about Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at the well and how Jesus kind of just broke down all those barriers uh, that were there. And I want to just uh, read two readings, one from Matthew's Gospel, one from Luke's Gospel. If you want to follow it on your device or in your Bibles or on the screen. This is the Matthew reading, Matthew 9 and verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call, but I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And then from Luke's Gospel, and uh, chapter 7. And reading from verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet her feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. 
Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Should we just pray? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have the Bible in our hands, that we can read about you, Lord Jesus, and we can look at you and gaze upon you and hear your words. And we pray that as we look just tonight briefly at you again, that you would amaze us once more with who you are. Open our eyes to see more of who you are. Open our ears to hear your voice again. Open our hearts that we may receive your love afresh. In Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, Edward talked about breaking barriers down as Jesus encountered the Samaritan woman at the well. And in these two readings that I've chosen for tonight, there are two stories around the very same theme. And uh, there are two dinner parties. I, I love the way Jesus loved dinner parties. He loved eating with people. And um, slightly different dinner parties. One was at the home of Matthew, author of the gospel. He was a tax collector. And Jesus had encountered him. And he said, come follow me. And I'm sure it's abbreviated. But Matthew just got up and followed Jesus. And then invited Jesus for tea. How amazing is that? Let's invite Jesus for tea. And he invited all his friends, all the other tax collectors and sinners. And they had a great time. Except for the Pharisees who heard about it. And didn't like it at all. And then we have that other story of Jesus at another dinner party, and now he's at the home of a Pharisee. You know, the, the religious leaders. And, you know, we can't quite picture it because, you know, we imagine dinner party in, in our dining rooms, you know, but this would be in an open courtyard maybe. And this woman, who was living a sinful life, came and she just wept on him and dried his feet with her hair and kissed his feet. I mean, how undignified is that? And I guess when we read the Gospels, we're not shocked anymore because we're familiar with it. Just imagine for a moment the next dinner party you have and that happens. And the Pharisee is there, Simon, and he's thinking, well, if, if, if this man is a prophet, he knew what this woman was, he would not allow her to do that. And he challenges the Pharisee. Seems to me as we read the Gospels, Jesus spent lots of time with those whom were regarded as sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors. 
which may be a bit surprising, certainly was for the Pharisees who thought that a Jewish rabbi would certainly not associate with people like that. And in Psalm 45, there is a messianic prophecy of the Messiah as one who would love righteousness and hate wickedness. It's quoted in the New Testament in Hebrew, Hebrews 1 verse 9. So it certainly came as a shock to the Pharisees and the religious leaders at the time because they loved the righteous. And hated the wicked. Have you picked out the subtle difference? Jesus loved righteousness. And hated wickedness. What's more, these sinners seem to love Jesus and express their love for Jesus. Matthew immediately, through a dinner party, invited Jesus round, invited all his friends, come and hear Jesus. This woman anointed Jesus with the best that she had. Normally, creatures that love the dark run away when you switch on a light. But when Jesus comes, he attracts those whom the world calls sinners, like moths to a flame. And the challenge to the church of Jesus Christ is that sadly we've not always reflected Jesus. Philip Yancey in his amazing book, What's So Amazing About Grace?, if you've never read it, it's just a fantastic, it's a bit old now. I, I looked at it on my shelf and, and I couldn't uh, believe it was that old. It has that little catchphrase, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. It begins with a horrific story about a prostitute and her young daughter who pours out her story and um, the question is asked, have you ever thought of going to the church for help? And the woman says, church? Why would I ever go to church? I'm already feeling terrible about myself. They would only make me feel worse. What was it about Jesus that made him have a nickname, Friend of Sinners? What was it about Jesus that enabled him to win the hearts of the lost and the broken and the hurting? Why did they flock to Jesus? Because no one had ever treated them like Jesus had treated them. Jesus loved them. Jesus didn't condemn them. Jesus accepted them, spent time with them. The religious leaders of the day condemned them, avoided them, called them unclean. For the Pharisees at the time of Jesus, to be holy was to be separate, separated 
from the things that were unclean. And they devoted themselves to prayer and fasting and giving, which are all good and godly things. But they ended up being self-righteous in their rule-keeping. And the more they pursued righteousness, the more they despised sinners. And Jesus comes, who was completely righteous, completely perfect, completely holy, without sin. And he says, I have come to seek and save all that was lost. He actually comes to seek the lost. I have come to call sinners, not the righteous. Not the righteous in their own eyes. I guess Jesus saw the one who was behind all the destructive forces in people's lives. In fact, John tells us in his letter that Jesus came to destroy all the works of the evil one. See, what happens with religion is religion puts an emphasis on performance. How good you are. And it goes to extraordinary lengths sometimes to avoid being contaminated by anything that they would consider unclean and that therefore would make them unclean. And the comparison is made between their righteousness and the sinner's unrighteousness. Religion ends up hoping to impress God with its purity, but forgets that it's called to love. Also forgets that the best that we have, the best in us is but filthy rags compared to the one who is holy because the comparison is not between the person that we think is a sinner but the one who is our savior. When Jesus tells the parable of the good Samaritan, he shocks everybody because he tells the story of a man going from Jerusalem to Jericho and he falls into the hands of these robbers and they beat him up and they take all his stuff and they leave him for dead and then comes along a Pharisee. And Jesus says the Pharisee sees the man and he crosses over and walks by on the other side because he doesn't want to be contaminated. Same with the Levite. They walk straight by on the other side. And then Jesus shocks everyone because he says, then a Samaritan, a Samaritan, boo, who stops and tends the person and takes them to a place where they can have recovery and restoration and even promises to pay whatever's needed. Jesus seemed to do the opposite of what religious people did. Jesus stopped. He touched those in need. He allowed them to touch him. Whether it be the dead, 
the sick, the bleeding, the lepers, the prostitutes, the sinners. Because Jesus knew that his touch was what was needed because his touch was the touch of God. The challenge to the church that bears his name is do we look more like Pharisees or do we look more like Jesus? And at times in church history, it swung wildly from one to the other. And we don't always get it right. We know in our own day and age, it's not easy to stand up for what is true, but also to be full of grace because it's misunderstood. But if the church ends up with a reputation for being a friend of sinners, then it's doing something godly and Christ-like. Notice Jesus was not a friend of sin, but a friend of sinners. Jesus never said, it's okay. He came to restore and heal and sort things out. I may have told this story before, but when um, I was in Lebanon and we heard lots of testimonies from uh, Muslims who were coming to faith in Jesus. And this one Muslim man got up and shared his faith and he'd come to Christ and he wanted to be baptized, but uh, he was struggling with an issue because he was married to two women. And he'd asked the pastor which woman he should divorce. And immediately all our pa the pastors in our group were looking at the pastor, what's he gonna say? Because I can tell you of uh, some churches who would have said, you can't even come. <laughs> you know, until you get that sorted out, mate. And the pastor said, I have encouraged him to bring both of his wives to Jesus, and then Jesus will sort it out. Which could in one term be thought as a cop-out, but in another way, who's the best one to sort that out? It's not easy, is it, holding truth and grace together? But Jesus never, ever compromised on sin, but loved sinners. Some churches, even whole denominations, have reduced the gospel to, to a call for separation, a loveless pursuit of a so-called righteousness that looks to the world like, we don't love you but we're holier than you are. And a church like that can forget its mission that Jesus has called us to. I know what it's like as a church leader to be consumed sometimes with church. And forget that I'm called actually to be a witness That's why we're not called to become a holy huddle or a Christian clique. For forever seeking the lost. Jesus quotes in his response 
um, a verse from Hosea 6.6. Hosea was a great prophet of God, but called to marry a sinful woman. As God reveals to Israel a truth of his love for them. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And with this, Jesus rebukes the religious Pharisees for their empty religion. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And we're so grateful. We're so grateful that Jesus has come to save sinners. And that he can forgive sin. And that he loves sinners. Because that's who we are. Imagine if you had to impress Jesus with your righteousness. And some of us would do better than others, I guess. But we would be lost. Who could stand? Some people are shocked by Jesus' approach. Certainly the Pharisees were. A scandal of grace where salvation is offered freely just by faith. What did this woman do? She doesn't make a statement of faith. She loves Jesus. There is something that has happened where she responds to Jesus with love and adoration and worship. And offers Jesus the best. And the gospel which we proclaim is the gospel that is the power of God to save and to set free. And it's the very gospel that should prevent us from ever becoming modern day Pharisees. Mind you, we need to be on guard, don't we? I'm always interested when I share, particularly on Alpha courses, um, having done two Alpha courses in Long Latin prison, and seeing people's reaction when I say, well, yeah, I've, I've done an Alpha course with um, the mains group, and there were murderers, and bank robbers, and and I've never been so scared in my life. Yeah, Jesus loves them, doesn't he? And wants to save them. And to do an alpha course with the vulnerable prisoners, the abusers, the sex offenders. Because Jesus loves them doesn't he? Wants to set them free. I've noticed that it's often good people who have a problem with God's forgiveness. Jesus says in that story that people who have been forgiven much will love much. People who have been forgiven little will love little. 
but we misunderstand that. Because sometimes we think, oh yeah. Who has been forgiven more when all our sins are gone? Washed away. Jesus challenges the very heart of the religious elite and calls us to be those who follow him. And we still find it a challenge because, you know, God loves sinners, we know that, but hates sin. God calls us when we come to faith in him to live lives that will honor him. But each one of us falls short of the glory of God because we cannot be perfect. But it's that desire in the heart to worship Jesus. This woman who lived a sinful life, lives a sinful life, if you noticed in the reading, wasn't a past tense, lives, but came to Jesus because she knew that her hope was in him. And so when we come to share communion, we reflect on what Jesus has done for each one of us. How much has he forgiven you or me when we share this simple meal? And to respond as perhaps that woman did, to pour out our love and devotion to Jesus. To respond as Matthew did and say, friends, come and meet the one who has changed my life. Jesus was a friend of sinners. It's a challenge to us as a church to be the same, but not a friend of sin. But if he is a friend of sinners, then he is a friend of mine. and a friend of yours. Let's pray.